Good to be here today, and I uh, don't know that there's anywhere else this morning that I'd rather be than with our Jackson Creek Church family, amen? And uh, I did, that was kind of weak. Some of you are thinking, well, I like to be at Disney World. It's kind of cold, you know? I don't know. It's a good good day to be in church, you know? And um, and so we're glad that you're here today, and uh, we just trust that the Word of God would just uh, challenge you this morning as we consider what God has for our lives. And this series is kind of... Um, uh, endemic, if you will, of the culture in which we live, because you know uh, the culture in which we live is is constantly um, tempting us and motivating us to want more. In fact, we kind of live in a culture and a society today where um, you can have everything that a person could humanly and possibly need, and yet feel this discontentment in our lives. Um, I think of the uh, the great theologian uh, Puff Daddy or uh, Puffy before he became P Diddy and before he became Puff Daddy and all the other name changes that he said. He said, but his uh, one of the songs that he wrote back in the '90s, late '90s, was "Mo Money." Look at you! Look at you guys listening to Christian music. I'm praying for your souls. Mo Money, Mo Problems, and you know one of the fascinating things about the. Um, the sin of selfishness or the sin of, if you will, today, what we're going to talk about is covetousness is the idea behind the idea of covetousness is, listen, it's never satisfied. It's never enough. You never get to a landing pad where it's like, all right, I'm good. Selfishness and covetousness leads us to a place of wanting more and wanting more, and it ultimately ends up controlling us. Paul Tripp said it this way, Money is not evil, but it makes a very, very bad God. In fact, I think this message is relevant because Al Mohler, in his book on the Ten Commandments, uh, and one of the Ten Commandments is you will not covet. And, and ultimately, he's talking about you will not covet your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's goods, and, and on and on we go. But he said consumerism is as much of a danger to our souls as anything we could possibly know. Now, we don't tend to think in those terms because we think, oh, well, if I murdered somebody, that would be pretty bad. If I, if I committed adultery and slept with someone else's wife, that's kind of a big deal. But what Jesus is saying in this passage of Scripture today is, is that consumerism and covetousness and selfishness is as much of a danger as anything that we could possibly know for our hearts and, our, and for our souls. The danger is with covetousness is that it's never satisfied. In fact, it's very subtle. Now, many of you know if you've been a, a, a attending here, a member of our church for some time, um, I have an affinity for monkeys. Like, I just think monkeys in the animal kingdom are the most fascinating creatures that there are. All of God's people said, I just I like monkeys. In fact, several years ago, we went out to eat with our family, and the Turners were there, and my wife's parents were there. And we went to a, a place up in Orland, um, uh, Granite City, I think is what it was called, and we were having dinner. At the dinner table, this guy, no lie, had a monkey on his shoulder. At, I know, right? I thought, man, that is awesome. And I mean, I went to the restroom and walked past this cat just to get close to that monkey to make sure that it was real. And as I was walking by, he gave the monkey some bread, buttered it up, and the monkey's just sitting there chilling on his shoulder. So the next Sunday, I came to church, and I said, look, if you guys want to give me, like, a Christmas present or a birthday or a church animal, buy me a helper monkey. You know, it's one of those special needs animals. 
And I just feel like, you know, he could, like, answer the phone. You know, how many of you call the church and sometimes the phone doesn't get answered? I got a monkey. He'll answer it. He can make copies. He can scan stuff. But I love, I love monkeys. But I was reading, and I don't know if this is a true story or not. I think it's more of a fable. But I think it can be true in our lives. How many of you have heard of the, uh, how they trap monkeys in India, in South India? There's farmers there. And what happens is, is the monkeys come into the farming fields, and they take all the food and all the crops that, they, um, that they're planting. And so what they do is, in order to catch these monkeys so they stop eating the crops and their goods, they take a coconut, and they put some fruit or some rice inside this coconut, and they put a hole in the coconut that's just large enough for the monkey to stick his hand in, but once he grabs what's in the coconut, guess what he can't do? He can't get his hand out. And I believe That's illustrative of how oftentimes we are in our life when it comes to selfishness. We reach our hand in to grab something that God doesn't even necessarily want us to have, and it's not even necessarily something that we need, and we reach in to grab it, and listen, instead of letting go and moving on to greater things, we hold on to that little bit of rice or that little bit of whatever because we think that we have to have it in order to be satisfied and to be happy. Now, the reason that we need to deal and understand with covetousness in our lives is because ultimately it leads to a host of other sins. And if we're going to achieve holiness, we have to pursue to some degree contentment, which is a characteristic of of us being like Christ and us being holy. In fact, I think Jesus knew how significant the heart battle would be. I think he knew how quickly we can lose our way when it comes to this issue of money. In fact, I think he knew how uh, susceptible that we would, that we would uh, be in giving our hearts to the love of money and to the love of things. And this is why it's so easy for us to overspend. That's why it's so easy for us to, to go in debt, and to use credit cards. In fact, they say when you use credit cards, you tend to spend 30% more than if you just paid cash for what you were purchasing. Because you're like, oh, I'll just pay for it later. This is why it's so easy to overspend and, and, and go into debt and to, to, to choose to withhold giving back to God what ultimately is rightly His. Now let me ask you this morning. When it comes to this idea of covetousness, and this morning we're going to talk about guarding against covetousness. covetousness. We're going to talk about guarding against selfishness. I want to ask you this morning, in the way of application and just in the way of diagnosing where your heart is at this morning. Let me ask you today, have you lost your way when it comes to this area of selflessness? Have you kind of lost your way when it comes to this idea of generosity? Have you kind of lost your way when it comes to the idea of being sufficient in Christ and content in Christ and living your life ultimately so that you can be happy? Have you lost your way? The culture that we live in, it tempts us to expand more and more. It never ends. And so I want to ask you this morning, does selfishness, if you're being honest with God, and if you're being honest with yourself, has selfishness gripped your heart? Now, I think what Jesus is saying in this passage of Scripture is that money is one of the most counterfeit gods that there are, that there is. In fact, when it takes a hold of your heart, it blinds you to what is happening, and it controls you through anxieties and lust, and it brings you, listen, it brings you to put it ahead of all other things. And this is what I want to ask you today. Have you 
put your pursuit of money or things, have you put those things in such a priority that you have forgotten about your relationship with God? Have you made it such a priority that that living open-handedly and living a life of generosity is, is a side note or an afterthought, and you tend to give what is left over back to God, or you tend to give what is left over to those who are in need, or you tend to give what is left over uh, if, you're, if you're in the mood. And so this morning we begin, number one, with guard against covetousness. What is covetousness exactly? It's an un, please write this down today. It's an unquenchable thirst for getting more and more of something we think we need in order to be, uh, in order to be happier, to be satisfied. So just write this down. It's an unquenchable thirst for more and more. That's what covetousness is. I've got to have more. I've got to have this. To covet means to desire. It, 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 it's to desire that which uh, is wrong to desire and to want that which is wrong to want. This gets to the root of what it means to covet. Now I want to ask you this morning, what led to this man's demise? Now in the passage, it might emphasize that this morning. What led to this fool's demise? Because the, 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 the passage says, listen, listen, this night your life will be required of you. And here's what the backdrop of what led to this man's unfortunate downfall. Look at what he says in the passage of Scripture today. When you look at verse number 13 and um, uh, verse 16, he says, He told him a parable, and the land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And so first of all, the the first thing that he did, and this is how we know that we're slipping into covetousness or selfishness. Number one, confused ownership. Confused ownership. He says, I will store all my grain and all my goods. Now listen, we are owners of nothing. We are owners of nothing, managers and stewards of everything. Everything that we have, everything that we own, everything that's in our possession is on loan to us from God to use for the sake of the glory of God and for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything. My life, my time, my money, my home, my car, every single thing that is in my possession at this moment, it all belongs to God. There's no question about that. But for this man, he forgot who gave him what he had. And you say, well, you know, Um, I have a good mind. Well, who gave you that mind? Well, I'm a good communicator. Who gave you the ability to talk? Well, I'm a really good athlete. Who gave you the ability to run? You see, everything that we have and everything that we are and every ability that, that, that makes up who we are ultimately was given to us by God and is, is to be used for the glory of God and for the sake of his kingdom. In this man's life, there was no recognition that every good and every perfect gift comes from above. And then the next thing that we see is that he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relax, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. Now listen, this man's desire was for his own personal pleasure and for his own luxury. He had no concern for the good or need of others. Disciples of Jesus consider that their wealth and their resources are to be released into the kingdom of God for the good of others. Now I'm all for resting. I'm all for relaxing. I'm all for a vacation. Um, I think those things are good. I think God calls us into a Sabbath. But this man had no consideration for the good of others. 
He had no consideration for the need of others or what, what might help bring others into a relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, no, I've got all this wealth. I'm going to kick my feet up. I'm going to have a, a, a drink, and I'm going to eat, and I'm going to be full, and I don't really care about anyone else. The third thing that he did, he consented to needless expansion. He consented to needless expansion. He says, I'm going to build bigger barns. And so there was no guarantee in this man's life that the harvest would be this sizable in the coming years. He just assumed. He just thought, well, you know, I had a good harvest this year, so I'm probably going to have a good harvest next year and the year after that and the year after that. And so ultimately what happens is he consented to needless explanation. Listen to this. There was no consideration of using this abundance to be used to bless and serve others. It was used, listen, to expand this man's own personal kingdom and not the kingdom of God. And man, how, 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 how real is that in our lives today? I was sharing with our new members class today that my wife and I, we went to Baptist Bible College and she graduated in the year 2000. I graduated in 2002 and um, we both majored in missions and we have missions degrees. And at the time we were taking Spanish and we thought one day God would lead us to um, South America where we would go and and be missionaries and plant churches in the Latin American world. And um, when we got married, right before we got married, we lived in a tiny studio apartment on campus at Baptist Bible College. And I remember that apartment was so small. I could, Ben's laughing because I think he's seen those. You lived in one of them too, didn't you? Ben lived in one of those apartments. And you could literally lay in bed and you could reach to the refrigerator and grab a glass of milk and some cookies, you know what I'm saying? And, and watch TV because they have built-in armoires right in front of the bed, you know? And it was that small. And I remember before we got married, um, I was carting all these boxes up to like, it was four, it was like good four floors, right? And I was carting all these boxes up to our new apartment, excited that in a few months, my new bride was going to be moving into this apartment. We were going to begin a life together. And after about the fifth or sixth trip up, I was losing my breath. And I was in decent shape back then. But I got to the top of the stairs, and I said, good Lord, what's in these boxes? And so I started opening up all these boxes. And I'm not kidding you, man. There was box after box after box full of blankets. I asked her, I said, we moving to Alaska, and you didn't tell me? Why do we need all these boxes? And I'm not kidding. I was, I was young and arrogant and super not a good husband back then. I started chucking boxes off the fourth floor of my, my apartment building. We don't need these blankets. We, don't need, we need a blanket. I need one and you need one. We don't need 15 blankets for 15 different people. And so I just started, and I, we always, I said, listen, baby. I said, listen, if God wants us to be missionaries, we can only own what we can fit in a, a container to ship overseas. And so that had been for years our mantra that I was just, I'm not going to buy a bunch of stuff that we don't need. Now, I say that, and that's a little extreme because I'm crazy. Can I, amen? I look crazy. And so now the joke is every Christmas I buy her a blanket every year, you know. Here's your blanket. You know, I'm making up for the ones I threw off the fourth floor of our married apartment. Um, in our lives, it's so easy for us to be tempted to expand so that we can create more comfort in our lives. When God says, listen, I want you to live on what you have to so that you can use the abundance that I give you so that other people can come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's the life that God is calling us to live. Then it contributed to his personal ease. He goes, look, I'm I'm going to store all my grain. This man considered this venture of expanding to make sure that he was comfortable. I'm all for saving. I'm all for 
uh, having an emergency fund for retirement. But listen, folks, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we're called to live sacrificially. And that's a word that kind of scares us a little bit. God has called you and me to live sacrificially. Sometimes God calls us to give of our lives in such a way that when we give it, we actually miss what we're giving away. That's what's called a sacrifice. You see, if I give, you know, I told you last week, and I went um, out to eat. Those of you that were here, um, I don't like sharing my French fries. I'm just being honest. I'm confessing sin, and one day Jesus will deal. I might lose a crown over it, right? I walked into Freddy's last week after church, and there was a whole table of carnal church members sitting at a table. Bill's laughing because it was Bill Bonner back there. And he hey, Pastor, I want to share my fries with you. And I knocked him out of his hand. I'm like, how about that? You know? I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. But look, if I got two packs of fries and I give one away and I still got mine, is that a sacrifice? No, it's not. But if I got French fries and my wife, we were sitting at the dinner table this week, and I know God was testing me. She just grabs my drink, starts drinking. I almost want to knock it out of her hand. What are you doing? You know? But if I have two of something and I give one away, I don't really miss it because it's, it's not a sacrifice. But I have one of something, and that's all I got. And maybe I've saved it up, and I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm going to save this up, and I'm going to use this to maybe replace the tile in my house or to buy a new couch or to get a, a, a whatever, whatever it is that you think you need, and, and I give that back to God. Hey, listen, that then is a, that's a sacrifice. And friends, I want to tell you today, we've lost that in our Christian uh, uh, discipleship, in, in our Western culture, what it means to give up something that we own, something that's in our possession, something that we want. We, we, we forget God is calling us to give up things that we want so that others can come to know Christ. Because when we do that, we find that Christ is sufficient. We find that serving Him actually matters. We find a greater joy in seeing people come to Christ and lives being changed for all eternity because things don't matter, but people do. And so this man said, I'm going to store all my stuff and I'm going to make sure my life is easy. And then lastly, and really most unfortunately, he considered his investment without direction, divine direction that is. The Bible says, and he thought to himself. The Bible doesn't say that he prayed. The Bible doesn't say that he asked some of his counselors. The Bible says in a multitude of counselors, uh, there is wisdom. And if you want to be wise, you walk with wise men. He didn't do any of that. In fact, he didn't pray. Ultimately, he didn't consider what God's plan was. He wasn't asking God, God, what do you want me to do with this surplus? What do you want me to do with this abundance? He didn't say, God, what do you want from my life? What do you want to do with me? How do you want to use me? How do, you want to, how do you want me to serve you with what you have given to me? And unfortunately, I believe that many of us get to a place in our life where we're so comfortable, we forget that the, what, the place that we arrived at simply happened because of the good grace of God in our lives. And when things are comfortable, we don't have the tendency to say, God, what do you want me to do now? Where do you want me to go now? How can I best serve you in this season of my life? How can I best serve you with the resources that, that you have given to me? And it may have been prudent to build and to store for some reason. Maybe God would have led him into that like he did Joseph in the Old Testament. But this man foolishly didn't consider what God might want him to do with what he had been blessed with. Now listen, it doesn't matter this morning if you have $10 or if you have $10 million. 
This is a lesson that can be learned by every individual in this room that we are all susceptible to make foolish decisions that this man made with, uh, with the resources that had been given to him. He took what God blessed him with and listen, he used it selfishly for his own comfort. And I'm not saying that this room is filled with a bunch of greedy people this morning. I'm surely not saying that this room is filled with a bunch of, bunch of covetous people this morning. I would like to think, and I surely would hope, that the majority of you have a desire to lay down not just your wallet, but your life for the sake of Jesus Christ. That would be my hope this morning. And the reality is today that when Christ has our heart, guess what else He has? He has our wallet. He doesn't just have our wallet but he has our life, he has our plans, he has our kids, he has our marriage, he has the direction of our life. All of it is his, and nothing is off limits. And so I ask you this morning, is there anything in your life that is off limits to Jesus Christ? And maybe is one of the things that is off limits, is it your money, or your generosity, or your willingness to to live sacrificially for the sake of the kingdom? This morning, I hope our our students. I hope our young people get this message. I hope our kids that are in high school this morning and our college students that are here today, I hope they hear this. I hope they're listening because this is the kind of lifestyle that Jesus calls us into when we follow him. I want to tell our young people this morning, don't buy into the American dream. If you think that you're going to find happiness by getting married and having kids and a, and a house with a picket fence and driving a, an SUV, if you think that is going to make you happy, you are wrong. You're mistaken. Because you can have all of those things and totally miss the plan of God and the will of God in your life. Now, if God blesses you with those things, praise His name. But to seek after those things at the expense of living a life that is completely and fully sold out to Jesus Christ would be a wasteful life. It should get our notice of all the false masters and all the pseudo-kings that he could warn us about. Think about that for a minute. Of all the things that Jesus could have warned us about, he could have talked about lust. He could have talked about alcohol. He could have talked about... um, any number of things, but ultimately the thing that Jesus talked most about in the Gospels was this issue of money. And I think he did because he knew the grip that it has on our hearts. Could it be that Jesus understood that this is the master whose power is the hardest to escape? Could it be that nothing besides money more forcibly challenges the mastery of him over your heart? Could it be that Christ is alerting us to the fact that Many more of us are at the feet of the king of money than we tend to think or would even like to admit. Tim Keller says Jesus warns people more often about greed than about sex, and yet almost no one thinks, almost no one thinks they're guilty of it. So what does it mean to guard? What does it mean to guard? Covetousness is a sin we have to constantly watch And we need to be frequently warned against. And I want to just ask you this morning, are you guarding your heart against covetousness? You see, we have a responsibility to keep our desires in check, to root out those desires that are improper. And I want to ask you this morning, and maybe you might note this today for your growth groups this week, but is your heart this morning gripped by covetousness in any way? Is your heart this morning gripped by covetousness or selfishness in any way? 
Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10 says this, The one who loves money is never satisfied with money. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This too is futile. Now, when we guard, it means this, to watch what we let into our hearts and our minds. Instead of matching our desires to our circumstances, the world seeks to bring its circumstances up to its desires. And what, what I mean by that is this. Ultimately, we look at our life and we say, well, you know, I live in America. I need to live up to this level of, 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 of financial security. And ultimately, Jesus says, no, you need to live sufficiently in me. And so listen, don't buy into what the world says is going to make you happy. Don't allow those things to penetrate your heart and your mind. Ladies, how, and I'll just say some of the men. I mean, Josh owned up to watching HGTV yesterday. Amen. But how many times can you watch HGTV? Like, you know, we just bought a new home and, and we love our home and we are thankful. We are content in that. But man, you start watching um, Joanne Gaines and I start watching that stuff. And Mike talked, he struggles with this. Mike talked about it. He, Joanne gets him every time. He starts crying. He goes, I want to, no, I'm just kidding. You watch it, and they're, they're redoing cabinets, and they're upgrading appliances, and they're putting in new pavers on the driveway. I'm like, I want pavers, you know? And, I mean, all of a sudden, you guys start looking at your stuff, and you're like, man, I don't, I don't really like what I got. Right? Don't we do that? And so, on a regular basis, we've got to be really careful of how subtle selfishness and covetousness creeps into our heart, and we, we tend to lose our contentment with what God has given to us, what God has gifted to us because we see other things and other people have those things and then we start to compare to them and say well why don't I have that why can't I get this and so we have to guard our hearts and minds and the way we do that is secondly we grow a healthy identity look at what Jesus says verse 15 he says take care be on guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions and here's how we guard against it we grow a healthy identity our identity is not in our possessions for Jesus life consists of hearing and obeying the word of God listen My heart's desire for our church, my heart's desire is this, is that we might be a people who are governed by the Word of God. That our lives are shaped by and and, and molded by and, 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 and our lives are just rooted in the Word of God to such a degree that when the world comes and says, hey, you need this to be happy, you're like, nope, I got Jesus. Hey, man, you're really missing out if you don't do this and, and, and whatever. And you're like, nope, I got Jesus. There's this big documentary online right now. It's on Netflix, and they actually did one on Hulu. And it was about the Fry Festival. And it was like, it was supposed to be the modern day Woodstock. And this guy gets on, uh, starts promoting this event in the Bahamas. And he got 10 supermodels to, to go out to this private island in the Bahamas. And they started Instagramming and hashtagging. And they started selling uh, luxury uh, cabins for people to come and hear all these really cool musicians. And what ended up happening was it, it, it failed. And the guy is being, he's in prison right now for 10 years for being fraudulent and selling uh, this package and this experience that never actually even happened. He lied to investors. It's crazy. And, and here's what happened. No one, no one ever saw any of the accommodations. No one ever saw the planes, the private jets that they were supposed to be flying in on, but they had, Mike talked about this before, they, they had FOMO. You know what that is? The fear of missing that FOMO. And so these kids, these millennials, I mean, I'm not knocking millennials today. I love them, and I think they love Jesus and all that. But in a fear of missing out, we're spending four grand a pop for something they hadn't seen because they were afraid of missing out on 
an idea, right? And that's the idea this morning. Because, hey, if I'm not at this event, or if I'm not involved in this, or if I don't have this car, if I don't go to this school, or if I don't have this particular handbag, I mean, friends, that's the culture we live in. And so Jesus is breaking it down. He says, your identity is not in what you own. It's, who's, it's who owns you, right? Your life isn't about what you own. It's about who owns you. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, the Bible says that you have been bought with a price. You are a child of God. And this morning, while you may not have a mansion and you may not have a Rolls Royce or a Bentley or, um, uh, you know, the fancy cars of the day, you may not have any. You may not. You might buy your shirts from Old Navy like me. Right. Amen. You, you might not have a, the, the nice pair of booted jeans. I think that was like three hundred dollar pair of jeans. Look, man, you're a nut if you're spending three hundred dollars on jeans. I'm going to pray for your soul. Right. And some of you are going to come up. I know someone's going to come up to me. I just, man, I got some booty jeans or whatever they're called. I don't even know. I think that's what they're called. Man, I just get a pair of Levi's and call it a day. Amen? Listen, that stuff does not define who you are. Jesus does. Jesus does. And this morning, you find acceptance, approval, and affirmation, not in who this world says you are, but in who Jesus says you are. And the reality is, listen, go on and buy those jeans. Go on and buy that purse. Go on and buy those shoes. Because six months from now, it's going to be something else. I remember when I was a kid, the big thing was Dooney and Burke. How many of you ladies remember Dooney and Burke? Kids now don't even know what that is. It's an old lady purse now. But everybody used to have to have a Dooney and Burke. You know? I mean, it's just funny. Got to have it. It's a really big deal. You know, I gotta have one of those handbags. I gotta have those shoes. Jesus says, "Man, don't find your identity in that. It's foolish to build your security and soul into something that may, at any moment, listen, it might be gone." I had some friends, man, that they lost a ton of money when the economy collapsed. And there's a verse in Proverbs that says, "Money has has wings, and it will fly away. And sometimes you have it, and sometimes you don't. But if your hope," and dreams, and securities, and your security is wrapped up in what you own, and what you have in your 401k, or in your checking account, when it's gone, you will be devastated. But if you follow Christ, and your identity isn't in what you own, but who owns you, you will have a security that will be a foundation upon which you can build your life on. Grow a healthy identity. And then last, give generously and be rich towards God. Jesus said this man's mistake was this, he laid up treasure for himself, and he wasn't rich towards God. Now, look over in verse, in verse 31. We didn't read this today, but Jesus says this. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added unto you. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You with me? Jesus says, I'm going to give you the kingdom. I'm going to give you what's truly significant. I'm going to give you what really matters in life. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and and no moth destroys. And then he says in verse 34, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. To be rich towards God means to acknowledge 
gratefully everything we have comes from God and then make an effort to use what he gives for the good of others and for the glory of God. That's what it means to be rich towards God. So we have this identity that says, look, I don't need what this world offers. If I get some good things in life, amen. If I don't, my foundation for life and my security and my love is not wrapped up in that. And so I'm going to find my purpose. I'm going to find my significance. I'm going to find God's, God's real design for my life, not in what I can get for me in this life, but what I can do for others for the glory of God. And friends, I want to tell you something. I'm going to be done in just a second. That's a life worth living. That's a life worth living. Being rich towards God means that I'm going to live my life, every breath, every moment, every resource that I have, I'm going to use it for the glory of God and for the expansion of his kingdom. I told the new members class today, I grew up in Winter Haven, Florida. It's a little redneck town in Florida. It's not like the the, uh, Orlando area, Tampa area, where it's it's kind of a, a melting pot and there's northerners and southerners and Haitian. I mean, there's all kinds of people that live there. But I grew up in a little town called Winter Haven, and 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 they think the Civil War's still going on down there. It's just, it's the deep South, right? My dad, when I was growing up, he laid asphalt for a living. It'd be a hundred degrees outside with a hundred degree humidity, and he was laying asphalt, and that's what he did for a living. Um, my mom was a cashier at Publix grocery store. She worked there until the day she retired. We kind of grew up poor, and I didn't know any different because we had a home, right? My mom would go, and she'd go to. Uh, Marshalls or Ross or whatever the store was, and she'd list. I don't even know if they do this. She'd put on layaway the clothes that I needed for the following year when school ended that year. So all summer long, she'd start paying for my clothes. When I was in eighth grade, I was sitting in a church, and a missionary came. And that missionary started talking about how people all over the world needed Jesus Christ. And I remember when I was in eighth grade, I said, God, I don't know what you're doing in my life, but I know that you want my life. And I remember when I was in eighth grade, I walked down to an altar just like this, and I knelt down at that altar, and after the service, I talked to that missionary. and said, man, I don't know what God's doing in my life, but I know God wants me to serve him. A few years later, I felt God calling me to be a preacher of the gospel, and I, I took that next step, and I said, you know, I, I think God wants to use my life to tell other people about Jesus. And then I got into a really solid church, and uh, many of you have met my youth director, Stuart Kaufman, and our previous um, student uh, director Keenan and his wife his his wife uh, her dad was my youth director and he took me under his wing and he recommended um, that we take a trip up to Bi- Baptist Bible College and I was a I was a sophomore in high school and we went up to Baptist Bible College in Springfield Missouri my mom put me on a little 15 passenger van with a bunch of people I didn't know and I went up there and I knew I knew that's where God wanted me to go to Bible college. Three years later, I graduated high school. I packed up. I had a Toyota Paseo, everything I owned. My mom didn't take me to school. Mm-mm. She didn't roll up into school with me, and we didn't go to Target and get all the college dorm room stuff. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Mama didn't pay for my school bill. But I'm going to tell you this. Where God guides, he provides. When God calls, he qualifies. Hey, listen, you might be sitting here this morning and you think, man, you don't know my past. You don't, you don't know my parents. Man, if you, to this day, my, I called my mom the other day and I was talking to her on the phone. I said, Mom, you're just crazy. But oftentimes, I'll just call her and she's like, what are you up to? I was like, well, I was just driving around Frankfurt looking for assisted living homes for you. Because when it happens, you ain't living with me. I'm just, I'm just being honest. 
I love you and I'm making arrangements because you're kind of crazy. But if you knew my upbringing, you'd be like, there's no way. In fact, I go home now and people find out I'm in the ministry and they just kind of laugh, you know. Like, really? Really? Because I was a little thug kid. But because of that decision, and I hope our young people are listening, I'm not special. I'm not a dynamic speaker. There's nothing There's nothing good about me. Ask my wife. If you need to know the real deal, just talk to her after. She'll tell you. She ain't scared. But God has given me so many opportunities. I, I was able to be a, a singles director. I was able to be a youth uh, or a young marriage pastor. I've been able to travel to, to London and to, to Europe. We spent time in Belgium and Germany, and we've been up Mexico. I've been all over the world, and I've had the opportunity to teach and preach the gospel to all kinds. I've been a part of a church. Listen, I've been a part of a church that's given half a million dollars to missions so that the gospel could be spread to the ends of the earth. Now, am I going to be Bill Gates? I don't know. If somebody leaves me some money from the church, I might be. You know, I don't know. Probably not. Am I going to get to fly on a private jet one day? No, but I'll be stepping up in the clouds to meet Jesus one day. Amen? Throwing a little southern gospel in there for my older crew there. Hey, listen. There's a lot of things that I may not experience in this world, but listen. Following Jesus and living a life that matters far exceeds anything that this world can offer us in terms of ownership or experience. And when you follow Jesus and your life is lived in obedience to the mission of God, you will be more joyful and more happy than you can ever know or imagine. My wife and I, we can tell stories, and I'm sure Mike and Sue and John and Jenna, I'm sure all the pastors this morning could sit back and just reminisce and tell stories about, you know, we stepped out on faith and we did this, and we had no idea how it was going to turn out, but God met us at that place of faith. Hey, man, we gave this, and we did this, and, and we didn't know how it was going to turn out. And God, God met us there, and God did a work. And, 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 and listen, you know, remember those old MasterCard commercials where they say it's priceless? I can tell you story after story after story of being at the right time, being at the right place at the right time where God wanted me to be and seeing him work and being in a moment, listen, that was priceless. Got to see a marriage put back together. Got to see a man get off drugs. We used to have a guy in our church that had a $140 a day addiction to heroin. God delivered him. Had another friend that was in jail, was on drugs, was a drug dealer. He ended up getting his life right with God and ended up serving in our children's ministry. We don't tell you that when you come in the new members class, right? (laughs) I'm just saying. Because the church is a place for broken people. We're a rescue mission for people that are lost. And man, I'm going to tell you, when you have those experiences, there's nothing in this world that compares to that. So that's what I want to say to you this morning. Has selfishness slowly, and I'm telling you, man, I, I can be guilty of it too. I shared that with you last week on a, on a micro level, but man, I can be really selfish in a lot of ways. Entitlement begins to creep in, and I begin to think, well, man, I deserve this, or I should get this, or why isn't this happening for me? And so it begins to creep in, and so a series like this, and a a word like this helps me to diagnose where my heart is at. Boy, I sure hope that every one of us this morning begins to diagnose where our heart is at. And I want to tell you, the way to cure greediness and covetousness in your life is to take steps towards generosity, to take steps towards living open-handedly. 
And that's what we're calling you to do today. Do you know that less than 3% of followers of Christ actually give 10% of their income back to Jesus Christ? I'd like to think that's somewhat true in our church, but I'm not sure that it is. I had our secretary run, and I didn't ask her specifics, like names or anything like that, but I had asked her, I said, hey, how many people in our church give less than $1,000 a year? 20, 20% of the people that attend our church give less than $1,000 a year. That means those of you that are giving $1,000 a year, you're living off $10,000 a year. You're not. So, listen, I'm not saying that to guilt you or shame you. I'm saying that because I love you and because covetousness will destroy your soul. Jesus said, what will it gain a man if he gains the whole or what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he what? Loses his. So if you want to live selfishly and live gener- with generosity and you want to have joy in your life, you have you have to live open-handedly. You have to you have to be generous in the things that God has given to you and that begins with your money. Now this morning we're going to in your bulletin, there's a card. And some of you, you're new to church. If you're a guest today, man, I just turn me off for the next few minutes because I don't care if you hear the last part of this because this isn't for you. If you're our guest today, we are glad that you're here. We are glad that you're here. And we don't want you to think the church is about money. We spend 52 weeks a year preaching on the gospel, and we take four of those weeks, uh, just one month out of those weeks. And this year, it's only three. And we talk about generosity. We talk about giving. We spend some time in the fall talking about it in regards to our missions conference, but we really lean into our regular attenders and our church members right now because we believe it's that important. We want to be a church that's characterized by generosity. Do you know this last week uh, we're going to be doing vacation Bible school this year here in the Green Garden area, and we're going to be doing it at Piatone Intermediate Center, and we fill out an application to get permission to use the element or the, the Intermediate Center, and we got approval, listen to this, the same day. Now, some of you don't know this, but when we started the church, I got denied the very, Rob will remember this, we got denied the first time that we asked to use the school, and they weren't going to let us use the school to start a church. Ron Christensen had to go to the board meeting and vouch for us and get a key for us so that we could begin having church uh, at the, at the Piazza Intermediate School, and they were going to turn us down again. And so Clint goes in and fills out an application and says, hey, can we use the school? Same day, they said, you can use the school. Listen, I walk into the high school that afternoon, and I saw the superintendent of schools, and I said, hey, thank you so much for approving our application. He goes, man, are you kidding? I'd do anything for you guys. The way that your church is generous in our community and our schools, we are glad to help. Then Clint goes in to pay for the school and says, hey, how much is this going to cost? And they said, we're going to do it for free. You guys just use the school for whatever you want. Amen? You clap about that. You know why that happens? That's because this church is filled with generous people, and we want to be a people that are characterized by generosity. So this morning in your bulletin, there's a card, and some of you are newer to our church, and you've been coming for some time, but you've never given. So this morning, we want to challenge you to give a a tenth of your weekly income. Just today, mark on there, say, I'm going to give 10% today. I'm the first time I've ever given. We're just challenging you to do that today for the first time, and I I want you to watch how God blesses you this week. Then the next one is, is we want those of you who haven't committed to, to being a regular giver in our church. That means that you're going to say, okay, I'm going to trust God with my finances. And I believe that 90% with me and God is better than 100% without God. Amen? And so I'm just going to trust God for that. And I'm going to commit to giving my, my tithe, that's 10% of my gross income, back to God. I'm going to give 10% back to God for this church to use to spread the gospel in this community and around the world. And then the last one is a vision giver. 
we are making plans right now to expand um, our facilities here at the church. And it may be in terms of a, of a barn or auxiliary building. It might be in terms of expanding and blowing out the walls of, of, of the uh, church to uh, add on. But we need space for our students. Amen? We need space so that our kids can have an environment to grow up in and know, love, and follow Jesus Christ. We need a space for our food pantry. Now we've added a, a clothing ministry along with that. And we've got a lady in our church that's, that's like got 20-some bins and like a, 90, a 900 square foot of barn. LeMand is here. So how many bins is it? Yeah, about 15. I was called rounded up. That's preacher talk. It's 20 bins. She's got 85 bins and her 90, 900 square foot. I, she's living in 100 square foot, right? <laughs> so... But we want to expand. She's like, I need somewhere to store these. I'm like, I can't help you. We're going to try to clear out the, the, the storage bin in the back and help her out. with it. Hey, listen, we want to grow this. Thing. We want to reach more people, but we can't do that until we have more space. We've set out extra rows today. It's February, and it's snowing. People don't come to church when it snows unless a church alive that is worth the drive, right? And so we're seeing God do some crazy things, and, and we want you to be a part of it. And listen. I know some of you get a little stressed out when we talk about giving. I don't mind talking about giving. I love it. One, because I give. But I'm going to tell you, there's been a lot of things that that I've given to. And sometimes I've given to a degree where I've gone without. I think all of us at some point have experienced that. But I've never regretted giving to God. I've made some bad decisions in my life when it comes to my money. How many of you ever made bad decisions? A bad investment or you gave money to somebody and you're just like, oh, man, I shouldn't have given that money, you know? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like, ah, you know, family members, you know? I've never regretted giving to God what was already his. Because when I look around this room, I look at Billy Deitch, and in a few months, Billy and Amy are going to be leaving to go to Orlando to help plant churches down in Orlando. I think about Jimmy and Keenan. I think about Matt. I think about uh, Napper, who's over in Burkina Faso. I, I, I think about all the lives that have been influenced. I look around this room, and I think of, and I look at families, and I see families in this room who've come to Jesus because of the generosity of this church. And I think, man, that's not a wasted investment at all. And I thank God for that. I look at these little kids that come to know Jesus as their Savior, and they're, they're being raised in a church where they hear the gospel every week, and there's teachers back there opening up the Word of God and pouring into their life. And I'm just like, man, that's not, that's not a bad investment at all because we're putting our treasure where heart is. And that's what we're going to ask you to do today. So in just a moment during the invitation, when John, go ahead and come on up, John, and we'll start getting the band ready. John's going to come up, and, and when he does it, fill out that card. I'm going to be a regular giver. I'm going to be a first-time giver. I'm going to be a vision giver. And then we're going to ask you, if you're a vision giver, put that money in the offering plate by the end of the year. Get it in by the end of the year. Now, some of you this morning, God's calling you to give beyond money. Some of you this morning, God might be calling you to plant a church or to be a pastor or a missionary. Some of you, you just kind of been kind of a, uh, coasting in your relationship with Jesus. Some of you are just kind of comfortable where you're at right now, and you need to come down here and say, God, I've been comfortable for way too long, and I need to step out by faith, and I need to walk by faith. And, and, and some of you just need to say, okay, God, I need to give it all back to you all over again. Not just your wallet, but I need you to have all of my life. Well, with every head bowed and every eye closed, how many of you say to me this morning, Pastor Jason, I know for sure that I'm saved. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Would you lift your hand and let me see those hands this morning? Just, man, I know that I'm a follower of Jesus. Now, how many of you say to me this morning, I'm not certain that I know Christ. 
I don't know that I've been forgiven. I don't know that I have a relationship with God. And if I were to slip out into eternity today, I don't know that heaven's my home. Would you lift your hand? No one's looking around. Just me. Anyone at all? Anyone at all? Amen. Now, how many of you say to me this morning, Pastor, I want to live open-handedly and generously in my life, and I want my life to count. I want it to be significant. Would you pray for me? Just lift your hand. Man, God spoke to me about that today. I want it to matter. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet this morning. Father in heaven, you see the hands of these dear folks. God, I just pray that you'd begin and continue to work in us and through us to reach this community, to love this community, to bring our friends and our family and our our coworkers and people that we don't even know to Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that, that we would live selfless lives that honor you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. John's going to sing, if God spoke to you,